I'm going to uh, move at a high rate of speed from now on. Uh, I will try to, and uh, forgive me if I lose you. Um, it's kind of like in math when I was at, uh, in school. Uh, I just tried to get something every once in a while, and so maybe that's what you'll be doing this morning. Um, I, I want to tell you that uh, uh, this morning I want to speak for God. Um, not in a sense where I have the only wisdom that God has ever spoken, but I want him uh, to say what he wants me to say instead of what I want to say or even what you want to hear. Um, Why we're here this morning, how we got to this, some of you are saying, what is he talking about? Um, This morning I'm going to be talking about Islam and what it is to be a Muslim and how that relates to the Bible. How we got here today uh, is world terrorist events. Uh, In the last few years especially, we've had some events that have stopped the world and caused them to ask the question, what is going on? There have been terrorist events uh, throughout the world and most recently in Paris, uh, a large scale, and then coming to uh, San Bernardino in in this last year. We have uh, world terrorist events. We have, uh, in the last few years, the rise of Al-Qaeda and ISIS, uh, and hearing from them what they think about the world and their view and what needs to happen, a very um, wicked uh, path, uh, a warring, violent uh, approach to uh, uh, securing their part of the world. And we also have... Uh, a war in Syria, which has created uh, a war-torn country where there are Syrian refugees. And those refugees are being uh, dispersed, uh, some to the United States, but others to Europe and other countries as well. And people are wondering what's going to happen uh, when these Muslim people show up, many of them Muslims, not all of them. And how will that, what will that do uh, to the countries they are found in? but specifically for us in the United States. And also, uh, just these last few weeks, uh, a professor at at Wheaton College, uh, a Christian college, a very famous one, that's connected with world missions for uh, a very long time and and been a famous uh, place for believers to go and get trained. Uh, One of their professors said this, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, um, a Christian, are people of the book and connects in that way. And she was dismissed and in the process of dismissal. And uh, there's a big uproar. Are we the same? Are Christians and Muslims the same in their roots? And then even just this last week, I was shown a video put out by uh, the Pope himself. And, um, and Pope Francis uh, this particular video uh, stated just this last week that we worship the same God and we all believe in love. And it went through these different faiths. And as we, as we hear this, uh, it gets confusing, doesn't it? And I, I want to, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to think about what God wants me to think. But as a pastor, I want you to think as God wants you to think. I want you to think clearly. I, I realize that uh, this brings in connection with friends, co-workers, family members, and it causes us to get fuzzy on the details. And so this morning, this is how we got here. 
This is why we're talking about this. Let me pray for us. Um, I realized this morning as I come before this passage, um, there's a bit of fear on my part, uh, not so much um, of saying the truth, but saying it in a way uh, that is inaccurate or um, is not honoring to the Lord. And so uh, praying for myself as much as you. <laughs> God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of knowing your truth found in your word. God, we ask that you would um, cause this time to be profitable. I pray that, um, that as we look at your word and as we look at this uh, world religion, Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity, that you would help us to see the truth. Um, God, help us not be led astray and help us to have the heart of Jesus uh, in all these things. We thank you for this time, and we pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, I just wanted to start out with just a few in introductory thoughts. First of all, I'm not an expert. Um, I didn't grow up in a primarily Muslim neighborhood. I really didn't even grow up in a neighborhood. I grew up in Santa Barbara on two acres, you know, with goats and stuff like that. So uh, I, I'm not this world traveler. I'm not this one who reads a ton um, I'm not an expert. Um, in fact, as I consider Muslims, I, I have met some, I have known some in my lifetime. Uh, I, as a person, I want to be tolerant of all people, no matter who they are, what they believe. I, I use that word tolerant um, just because it's a famous, you know, it's a word that we use today. Uh, the, the real word that I want to use is I want to be respectful and honoring to all people. Uh, I, I don't really... Uh, People are different. People come from b different perspectives, and they uh, deserve our uh, respect and honor. Um, and even as I talked about last week, I, I realized that persecution is coming for those who are believers. I, I want to warn you all, um, many of us have taken up this uh, mantle of self-righteous rage. Uh, we see what's going on in the world, and specifically the terrorist attacks and the injustices that are happening and we find ourselves to be angry and so it turns into this uh, Islamophobia or bigotry of some way, a hatred of those who are refugees and those who are hurting and this blanket statements and I want to warn you uh, that I don't believe that this is from God. We have one presidential candidate who is famous for saying this and it as I'm starting down this path, I know you think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but one presidential candidate, and he might be our president, he said uh, that we should carpet bomb the whole area um, and just wipe it all out. I, I realize that there can be a sense of that in our heart, especially as men who want to feel incapable of doing something and we want to do something big and we can't just sit there and we'll rather do something wrong than do nothing at all. Um, and I, I want to tell you that you got to ask the question, are our thoughts and views of self-righteous rage, are they from God? Um, some have even said and posted on Facebook and other places uh, who claim to love Christ, they would say things like, kill them all, kill them all. And I want to tell you, that's not from God. That's not from Him. In fact, in James chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, speaking of the tongue, it says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt, uh, a salt pond yield fresh water. Um, keep this stuck in your mind. Even as you would see the most wicked of people, maybe you'd meet them. Maybe you'd see uh, terrible atrocities uh, going into your eyes and, and into your mind, and, and, you, and you see this, and you say, what do I do with this? Remember this one thing. And this comes from Genesis. The idea that all men, all men are created in, the, created in the image and likeness of God. All men. And so with that, with that is not the idea of cursing men, of, of speaking ill of them, but remembering they bear the fingerprints of God. They bear His likeness, even in a damaged state, even in the most depraved thing. We realize that people are of worth because they were made in the image and likeness of God. Um, I see uh, here today some of our military men and some of our police officers and firefighters, and I want to say warning to you especially, warning to you especially. You live in environments, you work in environments where... uh, you just want to do your job, and people get in the rhythm of doing their job. And I want to tell you, the people that you serve, the people that you meet, every one of them made in the image and likeness of God. We start there as we consider uh, our topic this morning. We also know that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, uh, Jesus was saying on the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, He was redefining some things that they knew to be true. And he said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (coughs) Excuse me. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Start at the end of what I just shared with you. Sons of your Father that you would be connected with Him, that you would live like He lived, that you would have the same uh, values and strengths and heart of love that He has. And His attitude was not just love who loves you or love who you love and hate who you hate, uh, but He said, uh, He redefined, Jesus Himself said this, He, he said, called them to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, most of what we're going to talk about is not in our lands. Uh, it hasn't come to, to Hatchapi. It, it may. It may. It may be people you know. And this is what I'll tell you is our heart in this, as our Father's heart should be, that we would love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, connecting with the heart of the Father. Let me uh, give you some uh, simple facts about uh, Islam this morning. First of all, you can't talk about Islam without talking about Muhammad. Uh, the prophet Muhammad, um, he lived from 570 uh, A.D. to 632. And really in 610 is when he introduced Islam and uh, began uh, spreading uh, his gospel or his message about Islam. And it went like this, that basically that he had a book, the Quran, that he... 
um, received. He said he received from the angel Gabriel, and it was dictated. This book was dictated, and this message went like this, that uh, there's one God, Allah, and that he, Muhammad, was his prophet. And uh, you really see the history of this. There were about 10 years of him going from house to house sharing this message. Uh, you know, we picture, I kind of got a smirk and I pictured him knocking on doors and saying, Hi, I'm Muhammad. Uh, I'm coming with a new message. Uh, message is the God Allah. It's from history past. And I'm his prophet. And would you like to follow me and Allah? Uh, this happened from... Uh, this happened for about 10 years, and then after an experience at Medina, uh, him and his followers uh, continued. Uh, they were changed at that time, and their methods were changed, not just from going house to house, but going house to house, but uh, intensifying that message with violence. Um, and then they went and said, Hi, uh, we're here. Uh, Allah is our God. Uh, Muhammad is our prophet. Would you like to follow us? And if you don't, Violence came. Violence came. And so uh, we really get from there the idea that he, even is being used today, conversion by force. Convert to Islam. You have three options. Convert to Islam. Pay a, a, a fee or a tax or a toll um, or you will die or you will die. And that is being gone to, gone, going on today. Um. Islam as a, as a religion, uh, and this is, this is by uh, Muslims sharing this, this is what they say about themselves, is the religion or faith revealed by Allah to his prophet Muhammad uh, through, the angel, through his angel Gabriel and practiced by Muslims. And there are five areas uh, that Muslims must do. These are the things that um, they really practice. And first one is that they testify, they testify, this is number one, testify that there is no God except Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. Uh, you'll hear that over and over again. There's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. In fact, some of the terrorists have used that first part and just proclaiming that, that there is no God except Allah, and that would be their rallying cry. Uh, the second thing is um, they pray five times a day in their proper times. The third thing is that they would give 2.5% of what is saved in a yearly income to charity. And the fourth thing is that they would fast during the month of Ramadan. And the last thing is that they would make a pilgrimage to Mecca uh, at least once in a lifetime. And these are called the five pillars of Islam. As we uh, talk about Islam, we are talking about followers that are called Muslims. And we can't do just a broad stroke in that. We can't just say every Muslim is the same. And that's true of Christians as well. And many people uh, would call themselves Christians. I remember a, a time I was in a, a van filled with um, uh, filled with junior high kids and there was this little seventh grade boy he was probably about 30 pounds and uh, he was sitting a couple rows back and we were on the way to the beach and uh, the kids were talking and I was overhearing as a youth pastor and and they were talking and they were talking about going to this church and we were in a non-denominational church and 
the kid says to one another, he says, you know, I'm a Christian. And he says, yeah, I'm a Christian too. We used to be Presbyterians, but uh, now we're Christians. And uh, I think that that was healthy for me to hear that uh, I'm not against Presbyterians. I just want to tell you that. Got to figure out baptism. But anyways, uh, um, but I'm not against Presbyterians. They're believers if they follow the Scripture and trust in Christ. But, but this, is, this is what's important to realize. That that's true of Muslims as well. They're not all the same in their beliefs and, and doctrines. First of all, the ones that we hear most about are, are those that some would term radical Muslims. And the difficulty that I want to share with you today is I want you to think about this, is that what happens when a Christian listens more to the Word of God? What happens to them? What happens to their, their life? What happens to their marriage? What happens to their children? What happens to their home? What, what happens to them? I want you to think about that and use that as a backdrop for our conversation. Um, it's not really a conversation. I'm the only one talking, okay? I just want to make sure none of you were going to... First of all, radical Muslims. Um, and I, I want... There are really some words that come up that, that are helpful for us to think. First of all, jihad. Um, the word jihad means to struggle or to strive. It's the idea, most of the time it's personal as they consider it, that they are struggling to be better to do more, to uh, it's a self-improvement type word in their mind. But it also can be, and this is what is most common for us to hear today, is the use of military fighting or violence by force, the struggle by force. And in, in their minds, uh, as uh, connected with the scriptures, their scriptures, the Quran and the, their teachings, um, they, they use this to justify to justify war. And they don't see this as war that they go out and find. They see it as war being attacked uh, from the outside. And in our case, uh, the Western world coming and invading uh, their homes and their places. They use that as part of jihad. Um, and they see it as kicking out the invaders and reestablishing uh, what Allah wants for them. There's another word, caliph, and it's the idea of having a leader and really a, an authority structure, a new authority structure uh, that is over an Islamic state. And then thirdly, uh, these radical Muslims uh, would believe in Sharia law. Um, these, this, this idea of Sharia law, you can look it up, but it's really tr quite troubling. Uh, it's a list of laws that would uh, shape and mold uh, a society. Uh, it would be laws to live by. And some of these laws, I just picked five of them. Actually, uh, four of them and then a, a category because I was uncomfortable sharing some of it. Um, the first one that, that I just want to share is uh, criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. Okay? Punishable by death. Criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. Second, uh, one I picked out is criticizing or denying Muhammad is a prophet is punishable by death. Third, uh, criticizing or denying Allah 
the God of Islam is punishable by death. And then fourthly, a man can beat his wife for insubordination. And fifth, this is more of a category. Uh, there are many perverse uh, laws regarding marriage to minors and the treatment of women as possessions. And as I read through this, I, I want you to know that this is really what separates uh, the, the religion, the world religion of Islam from others, from the other major world religions, is this type of radical Muslim. And I want to tell you, and, and we, we don't know, we don't know the, some have suggested that those who adhere to this are as low as just 3% of all Muslims. I don't know that that's true, but those who sympathize with it are 10 or 15% or even higher. We don't know. But I want to know, I want to tell you there are different ones. There are other secular Muslims, Muslims that uh, view their connection to Islam as more of a cultural thing. They're born into it. They're part of a country. Um, I would say it like this. Uh, it's like if someone from Mexico would say, I'm Catholic. And you say, well, why are you Catholic? Because I'm from Mexico. I'm from Mexico. Uh, this would also be true of Germans. Germans are what? Lutherans. Come on. You got to be quicker on that. Are you guys uneducated or what? Good Germans are Lutheran. That's why uh, my family was particularly uh, um, interesting because we weren't. Uh, my, my family that came from uh, Germany was part of a very small Baptist church. Um, and my grandmother was... Uh, clear to tell everyone that too that uh, she wanted everyone to know uh, she was a Baptist she was not a Lutheran um, we look at this and realize that there are many secular Muslims and I was uh, talking with a man from our church who does some business uh, mostly with Muslims and he was sharing with me that the people that he meets are very much like us in this in this that they view their life as desiring to make a living to be able to provide for their family so that they can enjoy life. Uh, I want to tell you that there's more to life than that. That, that. That's okay in and of itself, but there's more to pursue than that. Um, and so th this is uh, the heart of a secular Muslim. It's a heart of many Americans today as they go about life. They're saying, I don't really care about all those details. I just want to live a happy life. One other fact I want to give you about uh, Muslims today is two, two words, poverty and illiteracy. Poverty and illiteracy. Um, over 60% in these, uh, you know, these are a floating scale here. 60 or more are illiterate in all uh, the world, the Muslim populations. And uh, in uh, these countries uh, that are predominantly in the Middle East, uh, we... Most of the time, we think of great wealth. We great great wealth. We think of the Saudis and uh, with oil prices, maybe none of them are, are wealthy anymore. I don't know, but there is a, a class of people that are wealthy. But as a country, there is great poverty. Think about that. There's poverty and illiteracy. Um, so, and now I want to I want to bring together side by side contradictory beliefs and I really want to tell you that these are contradictory beliefs they are not the same and it really boils down to the number two 
And we'll set these things side by side. First of all, two books. The Koran and the Bible. The Koran, and really there's more than one book for Muslims, for the religion of Islam. There's the Koran and there's the Hadith. Uh, and there's also some, uh, some other teachings as well. The Hadith itself is a collection of sayings of Muhammad. So it was put together after his life and kind of a collection of what he had said. The Quran was the one that he dictated, dictated, and he supposedly got that from the um, angel Gabriel. Okay, um, And this was actually compiled a few years after his death from uh, the second one in succession from him, Uthman, um, in 6, 644 to 656. Getting all this down? There'll be a test on it later. Um, as, they, uh, as a Muslim would uh, view the, the Quran itself, they would see it as a superior book because of the sound and writing. One said it like this, They are amazed at its flawless rhythm and prose, and the intellectuals among them immediately realized that they were hearing what could not have been composed by a human being. Okay? So the validity of the Quran is connected because of it, its beauty uh, as a piece of literature. Okay? Beauty as a piece of literature. Uh, there's an interesting thing that connects with this is that uh, we just had Beth here today. She's over there sharing more important stuff about uh, Bible translation. Uh, she shared about how the Bible has been translated. And I, she threw out those numbers. I looked them up from the Wycliffe website. Um, she had more updated ones than I did. But um, I, I want to tell you that the, the Quran. Uh, it's, it's only translating about 50 different languages. Only about 50 different languages. And uh, they have uh, 500... Um, the, the Bible uh, has been translated, I think she said, up, up to 1,000 times the whole Bible. And why the big difference? Why the big difference is simple. It's simple. And this may be offensive, is that I don't believe that uh, Islam, that they cherish the Quran for its writings. I don't think they cherish it for the words that it says. For us as believers, how do we view the scripture? Um, in fact, some of you are even nervous already that I haven't opened up the scripture more than I have this morning. And I love it. You're breaking out in a rash right now, and that holds our church together. Uh, you, you, this is, this is what we do. Why? Because it's the Word of God. God sent us a message. He gave us everything that we needed for life and godliness. We'll look at some other scriptures later. But, but, but the point is that it holds us together. We go back to it. We have some engineers here. We love it. We, it's like a math problem to us. We open it up and we're all like, these words mean something to us. And as we put them together, as we understand the grammar, as we understand what it says, this will be the, the, the marching orders, the thing for us to obey. Uh, for a Muslim, as they, they look to their scriptures of the Quran, they say it's just beautiful for what it says. It's just an amazing piece. And so Arabic, the language that it was written in, is really the only one that truly matters. And so as they read through, in fact, uh, many Muslims 
learn uh, Arabic just so that they can read the Quran, but not as marching orders, but as something that they would just recite and go over, uh, almost in a sense of meaningless repetition. I want to tell you this, too, as if you would read the Quran. Um, it's interesting, um, and I have read portions of it straight from their book, the Quran. Uh, you will notice um, in college they would call it plagiarism. Uh, plagiarism is stealing from somebody else their thoughts and then playing it off as your own. Uh, this is what Muhammad did. Uh, you, you realize the time frame that Muhammad uh, came about 600 uh, years after Christ, almost 600 years after Christ. And so he, ha he had access at least to the stories, if not to the Bible itself. And as he heard these things, he, um, I'm speculating here. I don't believe it came from the, the angel Gabriel. I believe it came from him putting things together, stealing concepts and themes uh, from the New Testament and passing them off as his own. The Bible is a different book. Uh, there's two different books. There's the Quran, uh, and then there's the Bible. The, the Bible is an accurate history of the world from creation, uh, even going past our time now into eternity. The Bible claims to be breathed out by God, good for the one who seeks its author, and made for our benefit and completion. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what our Bible does. It, it, it's, it's a message breathed out by God. It's meant for us to, to change us and to do different things in our life. Why? So that we would be complete. Uh, I loved Beth's passion. She's breaking up, talking about these people we're never going to meet. And she, she, her heart is for translation. Why? Because that they may grow, that they may know God, that they may have the scripture that has been breathed out by God. We see this. Uh, we realize that in our scripture that we had different authors. It wasn't just one prophet. It was many different authors. And yet the message is not a contradictory one, but a complementary one that tells the message and teaching of what God wants us to know. And this Bible that we hold culminates in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior and Lord, the one who gave his life for sinners, that by his work on the cross, sinners would be forgiven and complete. So you have two books, two very different books. Now you have two different sons as well, the sons of Abraham. Uh, for a Muslim, they would look to Ishmael in the Old Testament we realize that, that Hagar um, in Abraham was very old and his wife Sarah was very old. And they were past uh, the, the time of having children. And God made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah and said, I will bless the nations through you. I will give you a son. And, and Sarah, not thinking that that could happen, gave to her husband, her servant, Hagar. And Hagar had a child and that child's name was Ishmael. For Muslims, Ishmael is highly regarded um, for his goodness and wisdom. And after one, they see him as 
part of the history of what Muhammad shared. And after him wandering in the desert with his mother in search for water, uh, they, they got this amazing blessing in Mecca, that area. Um, and that's why they go back there. And that's part of the pilgrimage that they're called to in the five pillars of Islam. Um, for what the Bible shares, they talk about the other son, the other son through Sarah, the son of promise. Uh, you can read about this in Genesis 21, but I want you to know this, that this son of promise, uh, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says it over and over again in the, the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Isaac was this son of promise. And guess what? You look in the New Testament, Matthew chapter uh, 1, as it goes through the kingly line of Christ, guess what? You'll find Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise coming through um, this son, Isaac, not through Ishmael. We also have two prophets, Muhammad uh, and Jesus. I say prophet for Jesus is because that's what most Muslims will refer to Jesus as. Uh, in fact, I was, as I was sharing a conversation I had with a, a man who uh, flies to the Middle East often, he, he was talking about this one particular uh, man that he works with, and they started talking about Jesus. And immediately the man said, oh, Jesus the prophet. And the man had never heard. The man had never heard that he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He'd never heard that he died. He lived and died and rose again he, he, he'd never heard he'd heard just this little sliver he was left in the dark about the story of the good news of Jesus see Muhammad if you look at his life you will see a few things that stand out first of all the Quran the Quran that's attributed to him that's attributed that he was the one who wrote this or dictated it or got it from Gabriel he was the one we see other things that you see in the life of uh, Muhammad. And, and I know this is unpopular to say, but initially there was a desire for uh, a start of a new religion, a new following, a new way of living. But that went into violence. It went into violence. You cannot look at uh, Muhammad's life and not say that he, w he was not for violence. And this was his method. And then the other thing that, that stands out in the life of Muhammad is his wives, his wives. That he had, some have speculated, up to 15 different wives and other concubines. And that this was part of his greatness is that he was gathering wives to himself. This is who is the singular prophet of Allah in the Islam faith. Well, what is Jesus known for? What, what do we know about Jesus? Uh, Jesus, as you look at the New Testament and consider the Gospels, he's known for miracles and healings. He's known for compassionate coming to people and sharing with them miracles and healings. He, he's, he's known for teaching of repentance and a different kingdom. And he's known for giving his life and death and his resurrection so that he would be our Savior and Lord. As we consider this, um, we, we can also say that there's two prophets. We can also say there's two different gods. 
And I want you to get this uh, this morning. It's very important that you see the outcome. The outcome. What is the outcome of the worship of Allah? Uh, as uh, an is, uh, a Muslim follower would say, what is the outcome of that? And what is the outcome of worshiping the God of Elohim, of Yahweh, of the Old Testament, of His Son Jesus, of our, our worship of, of Him in spirit and in truth. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 through 7, uh, the Lord tells us this about Himself. The Lord descended in a cloud. Uh, this is part of the account of Ten Commandments, the bringing of, of the law. It says, the, the Lord descended in a cloud. He's with Moses and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God describes himself as a God of justice, but of God of mercy as well. And you look at this, and, and this God who is worshipped in the Old Testament remains true in the New Testament. There's this handing out and an extending of a hand in mercy and grace. Though justice is true as well, if it's rejected, there will be justice. You look at the outgrowth of what happens from the worship of Allah and how that, that th these who are going and trying to listen and do whatever Allah wants them to, seeking and following after the Quran. Uh, it's hatred and murder. It's uh, different acts of perversion, all in the name of Allah seeking his help you also see two ways to come to faith uh, and this is real simple islam is just another religion of works you must do you must do if you are a, a follower of islam a, a muslim and you seek to be good you must do some things and that makes you good that makes you somehow right with allah that he's pleased with you following after jesus christ what does that mean it means that you receive the winsome grace that covers you for all of your sins. It's different. It's different. This morning, I want to give you some concluding thoughts, and I want to bring all this together. And hopefully this is helpful for you. If it's not, I'm sorry. First concluding thought is this. All people deserve respect and worth. All people when you watch the news, uh, that news reporter has a soul. This may be a shock to you. They have a soul. They have a soul. They were made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, presidential candidates have a soul made in the image and likeness of God. Those uh, drug addicts, those uh, people in the prison over there, they have a soul. They have a soul made in the image and likeness of God. Those people in the Middle East, made in the image and likeness of God. They have a soul. And for us to see them as anything less is to not have the heart of God, is to not follow the Scriptures. 
Secondly, I want to say this. I want to be real clear. If you're sleeping, wake up, okay? Um, and I don't say this lightly. I don't say this lightly. Islam is a deceptive, demonic, and destructive religion. Muhammad is a false prophet. The Quran is a false scripture. And Islam is a false religion, which leads anyone who follows it not to heaven, but to hell. In James chapter 3, it says this of wisdom, okay? And, and he gives us wisdom and he says, put this test to it. If you think uh, you're wondering if something is wisdom, whether to be followed or not, put this test to it. This is what God's word says in James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false with the truth. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Okay? You can see things, in verse 15 it says, you, you can know where wisdom comes from by what it produces. And if it doesn't produce that which is good, it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is what I believe characterizes what we're seeing in our world today. It, it's a, a grab for power. It's a desire for selfish ambition. It's, it's a way to get, uh, get what you want. And I want to tell you that what's coming out of that is that which, uh, well, it's driven by demons. It's unspiritual and part of this earth. But what's coming out is disorder and every vile practice. On the other hand, uh, verse 17 says, But for the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If this is not um, evident, this is not wisdom that comes from above. It comes from below. And it says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Some have said that uh, Islam is the religion of peace uh, that I learned was because uh, it's the word Islam is a distant cousin to the word peace uh, and as it's been used over the years it's become more a distant cousin it's farther away uh, Islam is not a, a religion of peace it's not something that brings peace Thirdly, uh, and, and this is so important for us to, I hope this is what you leave with this morning. All men must be saved by Jesus. All men must be saved by Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, uh, in verse, starting in verse 1, it says, uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you.